Don't wake a sleeping bear, dragon. A good omen's podvik, written by the wolf and read by Char. Summary. Crowley's a mage on the run from goons from Lucifer's court. But a twisted ankle means he has to find a hiding spot for the night, and fast. Luckily, there's a nearby, hopefully empty cave he can hide in. Crowley scrambles over the girth of a huge felled tree and risks a look behind him to gauge how far behind his pursuers are. Of course, because it's just how this week has been going, in the moment of inattention he steps on a small rock that sends his body in one direction and his foot in quite another. He closes his mouth tightly over a pained yelp as he lands hard on his forearms in the rocky, brambly underbrush that makes up the forest floor this close to the rise of the mountains. He can't spare more than a moment to carefully swivel his foot and assess how bad the damage is. Regardless, he has to keep going. The Divine Emperor has had his goons hunting him for over a month, and the bastards are either too stubborn or too afraid of their boss to give up the chase. They've driven him from three separate villages now, usually before he can establish much cash flow, so he's running low on funds to pay for a room at an inn. Out in the wild, he has no doubt they'd have him within a few days. God's above. Why won't the assholes leave him alone? He still has no idea what he did to attract the divine emperor Lucifer's attention. Whatever it was, he's more than willing to do the opposite from now on, if it'll mean he can take a moment to rest and breathe. Luckily, his ankle doesn't light on fire with pain when he rolls it, just an eye-wateringly sharp, throbbing ache. Probably a sprain, then, and not outright broken. He can work with that. If he can find somewhere nearby to hole up for the night, he can hopefully spend the night and energy necessary to heal himself. He gets back to his feet and limps along. The realization of how slow he is now quickly sets his anxious heart racing and breath squeezing. He begins looking around, not entirely sure what he's looking for, except that it needs to be somewhere he can hide. The trees here are old, old growth, too wide to shimmy up and too tall for the lowest branches to be within jumping distance. He could try scaling the mountain and gaining the high ground, but he doesn't like his chances with a dodgy anchor. There are gigantic, hollowed-out logs here and there, where the forest is slowly reclaiming some of its fallen sentinels, but he doesn't like how exposed they are. Also, bugs and small screamy animals like to make their homes in them. Then something catches the edge of his attention. He looks to the nearby upward slope of rock, but nothing stands out. He's just wondering whether he actually saw something 
five something Pinkter's magic sense when he hears rustling and snapping from some way behind him. It could be a bear or some other lumbering creature, but his gut insists it's Lucifer's goons closing in. With a frustrated grimace, he stalks closer to the rock face and brush that had caught his attention. When he gets closer, he realizes that the brush is hiding the low, curved mouth of a hole in the face of the rock. From the darkness of the shadows within, it might even be a shallow cave. He hesitates. For one thing, the brush boasts some massive thorns. For another, bugs and small and big, screamy animals like caves just as much as they like hollowed-out logs. But it is better hidden, and if it's big enough, he might be able to fortify the entrance and rest for several days with the supplies in his pack. A faraway calls decides him. He shimmies between the narrow space between the mountain face and the brush, using his pack as a shield against the burst of the thorns, and ducks down to crawl into the low mouth of the cave. It's light enough outside that a little sunlight is able to weakly illuminate the area just beyond the mouth of the cave. Crowley crawls in on his belly, gets his good foot under him in a lopsided crouch, and pauses to let his eyes adjust to the gloom. Immediately he realizes how very fucked he is. The air of the cave is warm and filled with a spicy, sweet, musty scent. A slow rumbling noise, like wind and distant thunder, heard through the cover of the feather-dawn blanket, seeps into his ears over the wheeze of his own haunting breaths. And, as his eyes adjust, the huge dark shape filling the back of the small cave gains texture and depth with every bellow-like movement of the creature's massive chest, as it breathes evenly in and out. Crowley's brain shorts out in blind panic. All he can do is stare in mute horror, as he takes in more details of what he's looking at. He would think it's more than one creature, except for how regularly and smoothly the steady breathing ripples the fur along the creature's side and makes the feathered ridge running along its back rise and fall in a wave. He thinks it's curled in on itself, with what looks like a thick scaled tail wrapped around to guard the creature's face and sleep. Because it must be asleep. The tiny self-preserving part of his brain that's holding him statue still tells him. It rests upon what looks like a bed, or possibly nest of something soft, curling up around the edges under the weight of its boulder-like shape. From the evenness of the texture, Crowley thinks it might even be linens of some sort, though it's too dark to tell for sure. 
The thing about mortal terror, though, is that it can only hang around for so long without continued stimulus. And the cave is very warm, and the creature's breathing is almost hypnotic in how it fills the space so steady and calm and waited. And, well, nothing is happening. No roaring or growling or flashing of razor-sharp teeth and claws or baleful stares from gleaming eyes. Just a big lump of a creature taking a nap. And here's Crowley rudely stumbled into its bedroom unannounced. The terror fades, but Crowley doesn't much like the awkward guilt that remains. He doesn't have time to ruminate on it, or what the most sensible or even ethical course of action might be in the situation, however. From somewhere outside the cave, he hears the sound of trotting horses. With a silent apology to the creature, and a more frantic silent plea to whatever deities might be listening, he carefully inches away from the entrance further into the cave. The inside looks like the inside of a round flask, if the flask had its mouth flattened quite a bit. There's a narrow passage before it opens up into a vaguely sphere shape, but unlike a flask, there's an additional nook just to the right of the entrance. Crowley eases over into it trying to keep out of the immediate line of sight of the mouth of the cave, but also as far away from the creature's nest as possible. Once sitting, he concentrates on holding himself very still and breathing very quietly, not eager to disturb either the creature or alert whoever might be outside. Frankly, He's a lot more keen to take his chances with the creature at the moment. At least, if it tries to kill him, it would probably be a quick death. He has no idea what fate awaits him if the Divine Emperor's men get him, except that it would be extremely drawn out. Outside, the sound of horses draws closer. Crowley reluctantly tears his eyes away from the sleeping creature and angles his head back towards the mouth of the cave so he can hear better and watch for any shadows that might fall across the spill of fading sunlight at the entrance. Please ride by. Please ride by. Please ride by. He chants inside his head willing his hearing to stretch enough to pick out details of what's happening outside without accidentally calling power to give form to the idea. He has an untested suspicion that there's something about his use of magic that's allowing them to track him so accurately, but he's yet to figure out whether it's the calling, the casting, the type, or something else. Bottlenecked in a small cave with an unidentified large creature at his back, 
is not where he wants to test any hypothesis. The horses stop. Of course they stop. He recognizes the surly voices, definitely Hester and Ligger, but they are too low and muffled to make out words. No wonder they'd caught up to him so fast. They'd finally wised up and obtained mounts to aid their pursuit. He slowly lowers himself down to the ground on one elbow, so he can get his ear as close to the entrance as possible. Footsteps wander vaguely closer, and he has to hold his breath against a surge of panic, reminding himself that the cave entrance was relatively well hidden, unless you were actively looking to spot something behind the thorn bushes. I'm so near here. Ligger's voice fades in still far enough away and muffled that Crowley has to make educated guesses on the specific words. The crystal said, river, morning, that lock, looks like he fell, can't be that far. Well, that seems to confirm his theory that they're tracking him through a combination of tracking and some sort of magical device. He's been trying to avoid using his magic as much as possible, but he'd refilled his water skin from a dodgy-looking spring this morning and had risked a cleansing spell. Hester says something irritated, sounding from further away. Maybe still with the horses? Sundown. Easier. Morning. Liga replies, and the footsteps move further away. The sound of thumping and the clinking of metal follow soon after. Oh, of course they are going to make camp just outside where he's hiding. That's just perfect. Some very grand luck he has going on today. The sound of the two lacays setting up camp becomes abruptly sharper, louder. Crowley frowns, wondering if they moved closer to the cave entrance. But then his brain catches up to his ears, and he realizes the steady background noise of the creature's sleeping breaths has gone silent. He closes his eyes briefly and laments every time he's seen a market stall bearing luck charms and passed them over for necessities like jerky and nuts and travel bread. Then he slowly turns his head to look back into the belly of the cave. The dim light catches bright on a pair of large eyes watching him. The creature has lifted its head just enough that Crowley can make out some sort of furry snout situation and tufted ears. It doesn't move except to blink slowly at him, but it holds itself utterly still. Crowley is choosing to consider the blinking and the lack of growling as an indication of befuddlement rather than anger. Uh, 
Hi. Sorry. He whispers on the barest of breaths. There's enough activity outside that he doesn't think he'll be hurt. Just, um, hiding. Didn't know you were here. Here is the little finger waggle of a wave. The creature flings much more rapidly at him and then turns its head toward where the noises are coming from outside the cave. The feathery tufts at the tips of its ears quivering. Crowley blinks as well. That reaction seemed a lot like the creature reacting not just to his voice, but his actual words. Do you understand me? He asks, voice pitching up in excitement before he wrangles it back under control. The creature looks back at him and bobs the head up and down in an unmistakable nod. Oh, that is... that is terrific, Crowley breathes, the tight bend compressing his lungs, easing just a bit. Do you mind if I keep here for the night? He asks in a rush. Only the men out there right now want to kill me. The creature stares at him for a moment, before turning again toward the wall and perking their ears like they are listening to what's going on outside. They fidget in their nest, shifting around until they are squatting on all fours, tail curled over the tops of their front paws. Crowley concentrates on not having a minor heart attack as they move. Silence stretches between them as the creature considers. Crowley can't blame them. If he woke up to find a strange creature in his bedroom that asked to stay the night, he'd probably pitch them straight out of the window, no questions asked. Struck by inspiration, he sits back up properly and slowly shrugs his back from his shoulders. Look, I'm not coming empty-handed, he insists, and carefully opens the buckles holding the pack closed, muffling the clink of metal with his hands, and begins rooting around. First, he retrieves some jerky, and the last of the dark chocolate he'd splurged on in the previous village. Um, treats? he asks, and holds up the offerings in both hands. The creature stretches their neck out a bit, sniffs, and then visibly perks up. Crowley swallows hard, does some careful juggling with his pack and the treats, and then slowly shuffles further into the cave, until he's only a few handspans away from the very edge of the nest. From this close, he realizes it's made up of a hodgepodge of bolts of fabrics, blankets, pillows, and what even look to be a few mattresses. The pieces look well-loved, but clean. Once he's close enough, he sits down again, trying to look as unthreatening as possible, and offers up the jerky. The creature gives it another suspicious sniff, before lifting a massive paw 
and daintily plucking it from Crawley's grasp with a pair of short, thick tailors. After a thorough inspection, the creature nibbles on the jerky and releases a low, rumbling growl, and its tail twitches close enough to the edge of the nest that Crowley has to clamp down hard on a flinch. Is that a good growl or a bad one? He mutters, mostly to himself. But the creature hears him, and their jaw drops open in what is unmistakably a grin. Terrifyingly gleaming and full of sharp teeth, but a grin nonetheless. With a huff, Crowley holds out the pieces of chocolate next. These two I examined and sniffed thoroughly before being gently extracted from his palm and savored with many low, evidently pleased growls. The process takes long enough that he's left with a smear of chocolate on his hand. He examines it in consternation, trying to decide if it would be rude to lick it off. Normally, he wouldn't have any scruples, but the creature has more manners than most nobility he's met, and he is trying to make a good impression. But then the creature reaches out and clasps his wrist, encouraging him closer. Crowley shuffles forward and has about half a second to realize what's about to happen before the creature swipes a huge, rasping tongue over the flat of his palm and then nuzzles the damp skin delicately before drawing back and hunkering down with the air of a pleased cat. Well, that was a thing, Crowley thinks, half hysterically, heart hammering in useless, belated terror. The creature chuffs and grizzles a little, folding one paw neatly over the other, as if wondering what he's so worked up about. Crowley stares at them narrowly as he takes a few calming breaths and moves on to the next phase of his haphazard plan. The creature cranes the neck over to watch as Crowley extracts a sinfully soft blanket woven from a blend of sheep and angora rabbit fur. It had been down payment from a noblewoman who'd been in a tight spot and needed a major's working if she ever wanted to reclaim her stolen fortune. It's probably worth more than the fee he charged her at the end of it all, but as much as he likes it, it isn't more valuable than his life. Here, to feather your nest, he says softly, and offers up the blanket with both hands. The creature eyes it keenly, immobile, but for the ears quivering at attention. Please, you're saving my life, Crowley says solemnly, maybe playing up the gravitas a little bit, but the creature seems to appreciate a little melodrama. It would be my honor if you would accept this and, um, 
me. The creatures draw sacks, and they make a gurgling sound deep in their throat. Then they turn their face away and let out a series of chuffing soft hoofs. Crowley narrows his eyes. If he were a paranoid sort, he'd think he was being laughed at. Before he can get too worked up over it, however, the creature turns back around and holds out one giant paw, palm up, in obvious request for the blanket. Crowley presses his mouth tight over the automatic instinct to demand just what that was all about. He's not that much of an idiot, and makes an elaborate production of draping the blanket into the palm of the creature's paw. He gets a few chortling grizzles and quick tail flicks in reward. The creature makes careful study of the blanket, deftly handling it between giant paws without even the threat of a snack on their tailors. After several sniffs, pets and admiring gazes, the creature gives a full body wiggle that sets their fur and feathers fluffing and resettling, and then turns bright eyes back on Crowley. Good, he guesses. The creature responds with a nod, and then leans forward slowly, stretching their neck out until their nose is only a few finger widths away from Crowley's own. This close, he can see the creature's snout is more lizard than bear? He's settling on bear. Their mouth is smooth and shiny, with shimmering scales that flake into tiny feathers, and then downy fur within a few centimeters from the seam of their mouth. Their eyes are pale with the round pupil and smoothly textured iris of a bird of prey, except where an eagle's gaze is white and a little cold, the creature is looking at Crowley with warmth and, perhaps, a bit of impish amusement. When the creature just stares and breathes, Crowley realizes there might be something more he's supposed to do before he's granted sanctuary. Hell if he knows what it is, though. Sorry. I'm not entirely sure what I'm doing, he confesses, since the creature seems overall more amused than annoyed by his bumbling tribute so far. The creature, honest to goodness, rolls their eyes at him, which Crowley thinks is a little unfair given the givens. He's doing his best, all right. But after a soft sigh, the creature seems to take mercy on him and closes the distance between them to gently nudge their blunt snout against Crowley's nose. Crowley accepts the... was that affection? with petrified aplomb. It takes his brain a moment to resurface from the buzzing fog of primitive terror over letting something that big and toothy gets so close to his face without flinching. By the time he's sensible again, 
giving himself a shaky pat on the back for not completely embarrassing himself, he realizes the creature has shifted up onto their haunches and is fuzzily rearranging the linens and pillows in the back half of the nest to incorporate the new blanket. He shifts uneasily and then hisses in pain when he accidentally puts pressure on his sprained anchor. The creature whips the head around and stalks closer, nosing and pawing gently at Crowley's legs until he reluctantly stretches his legs out so the creature can examine his injured leg to their satisfaction. The creature gives a hissing cluck and starts plucking at the laces of Crowley's boots with the precision of a talent surgeon. Crowley opens and closes his mouth a few times over some outraged vowels before hissing quietly. Did you just tusk at me? And stop that. I mean, it's really not necessary. It's just a sprain and the boots acting like a compression bandage. The creature cuts a deeply pitying look at him, which Crowley can't help but squawk over quietly, and keeps on with loosening and then gently extracting first the boot and then the long sock from Crowley's foot, until the swollen, mottled mass of his bare ankle is exposed to the air. Crowley can be looking at it for only a few seconds before he has to turn his face away, queasy from the vivid wrongness of how it looks. But the creature extends a paw to his face and touches his jaw briefly, drawing his attention back. He looks reluctantly and realizes why a moment later when the creature slowly dips their massive jaws down to his foot, gazes on Crowley's face the whole time, and then gently laves their tongue over the tender skin of his injury. Even with fair warning and some time to brace for the sensation, Crowley still hisses long and low through clenched teeth, and grasps his thighs hard to distract from the larger pain. What? He gasps out after a moment. The creature pats the back of his hand with a gentle paw, and just keeps up a careful progression of delicate licking, until every bit of the injury is glistening with dragon, bear, bird spit. By the time the licking is done, Crowley's panting with the effort of holding back truly stupid knee-jerk reactions, like shouting with pain, or slapping the mad creature over the snout to make them stop. What the buggering fuck was that? He wheezes finally when he has his breath back. The creature leans forward again and nuzzles his cheek in what he thinks might be apology before sitting back again and starting in on the laces of Crowley's other boot. It's about then that a tingling numbness starts sinking into the skin of his injured ankle 
So he's too distracted to look too deeply at the implications of a giant creature fussily helping him get his boots off. He peers closely at his anchor, which is well on its way to being fully numbed now, and realizes the swelling seems to be easing up a bit as well. Huh, he decides. The creature chuffs a little and then tucks off his other boot. Guess this means you're going to let me stay. He ventures, still a little bory, but finding suspicion difficult to hold on to in the face of mounting evidence. The creature favors him with an impressively bitchy look and then waves a hand at the rest of Crowley before gesturing to the back half of the nest where Crowley's blanket has been woven in with the rest of the nest. He realizes the spot puts the creature between him and the entrance of the cave, but, well, frankly, that's more comforting than concerning at this juncture. He makes short work of removing the stiffer, pointier, dirtier bits of his clothes. He doesn't want to offend by bringing anything uncomfortable into the nest. Once his pack is shifted into the slender gap between the nest and the back wall of the cave, where it also won't be visible to anyone who might decide to pop their head into the opening of the cave for a looky-loo, he gingerly hobbles his way across the nest under the amused gaze of the creature and lies down. The creature settles next to him, putting their back to the cave entrance. Crowley glances over nervously and then wonders if he should really be stretched out, taking up so much space, or if he should curl up into a little ball. Before he can decide, though, the creature takes it upon themselves to bodily rearrange him until he's a proper little spoon cradled to the creature's chest. His injured ankle propped up over the back paw the creature has inserted between his calves. Um, he ventures, not sure how he feels about being a cuddly toy to what is obviously an apex predator, even if they've been positively genial up to this point. It's just that he's still not quite sure whether or not he's acting the mouse to a particularly perverse cat. The creature grumbles soothingly and rubs the underside of their chin back and forth over the top of Crowley's head a few times, before taking a deep breath that moves Crowley's entire torso with a stretch and then exhales on one long sigh and goes nearly boneless with relaxation. Within a few minutes, the deep, bellowing breaths that Crowley had first encountered are filling the cave again. Crowley lays quietly, eyes open, but unable to make out much, now that it's properly dark outside and his view is the dark rock of the cave wall. He does his best to relax, but can't help the anxious tension that clings to his muscles and joints 
locking his body and brain up in wakefulness. He needs rest, and this bizarrely accommodating creature has provided the space and opportunity for it. But he's finding it difficult to just trust and accept. In the relative peace, all the delayed fear and gibbering questions he set to shun the side to focus on surviving each moment come clamoring back for their due attention. He wishes he could just accept. For the next several hours he is warm, he is safe, he is even comfortable, but that's never been a strength of his. He needs to know. What is this creature? Can Crowley take the apparent kindness at face value? Or is he being secured as a convenient snack for later? Will Hester and Ligger find the cave? If they do, will they discover Crowley or not? And if yes, can he count on the creature to defend him, whether as friend or prey? Oh, God's above, what if Hester and Ligger are able to harm the creature? What if he's pulled this giant fussy fussball into the middle of his own bullshit. Hester and Ligger aren't powerful, but they are brutal in ways Crowley's never been able to bring himself to sink to. And his magic, while strong and sly, is better suited to long cons and intricate plots, not plant force. He realizes he's stiff enough that he's starting to give himself a tension headache, and his ankle is beginning to make its displeasure known, even through whatever magical slime the creature anointed it with. Behind him, the creature grumbles sleepily and cuddles him impossibly closer, nuzzling his head with their chin and rubbing the giant paws played over Crowley's chest in slow circles. Something tickles the back of his mind, an impression of concern and assurance. It's faint enough that he's not sure if it's being sent to him or if its own wild imagination is projecting, seeking to interpret the physical gestures. With a shaky sigh, he rests his own hand over the back of the creature's paw and gives it an awkward pat. Didn't mean to wake you, he whispers, just in my own head a bit. The creature woofs and sighs and continues their campaign of soothing rubs and deep, even breathing. Eventually, the hypnotic rhythm of gentle touches and calm breathing, combined with the encompassing warmth and Crowley's own exhaustion, draws him out of his spiraling thoughts so he can let go and drift into sleep. He dreams of soft beds and sleepy cuddles and the bone-deep security of being with someone you trust to fall asleep beside. He begins to wake when he realizes he can hear whispering. 
A voice is murmuring to him softly, growing louder and then fading, clearer and then muffled. Like someone is trying to talk to him while wandering around a large house or sprawling garden full of high shrubs and trees. And while I do appreciate the fine honey, it's a little grating to have it assumed that, oh, oh, I think I have it now. Can you hear me, my dear? Could you wake for me? Roni drags his eyes open and finds he's lying on his back in the nest, the creature lounging next to his sprawling limbs and looking down at him keenly. There you are, the voice says again, warm and fond in his ear. Above him, the creature gives a pleased wiggle and cocks the head to the side. Did you sleep well? Forgive me for saying so, but you seemed a little tense at first. I wasn't sure if you would manage. Crowley blinks hard and then struggles to sit up, looking wildly about the cave, just to be absolutely sure what he thinks is happening is actually happening. Oh dear, please be careful of your ankle. It should be well on its way to mending now, but you will still need to rest and keep off of it for a while yet. The creature presses a giant paw to his thigh, keeping him from dislodging his leg from where it's currently being propped up by a fat curve of tail. You can talk, Crowley manages on a mostly soundless shriek. The creature levels him with a deeply unimpressed look. Of course I can talk, although human speech is a bit beyond what I'm capable of producing physically. But since you also have magic, that's no bother. I just had to do a bit of fine-tuning to tap into your signature, they conclude smugly. Crowley stares at them blankly for a long moment, and the creature huffs an impatient gust of air in his face. My name is Aziraphale, by the way, they say pointedly. Crowley, he responds by road and then shakes himself out of his polex stupor. So, I take it, you're not just waiting around to eat me. And Zerophil gasps, clearly offended. What do you take me for? Some sort of brute? No, of course not, you silly man. They anger their head and squint their eyes, in a distinctly mischievous way. Besides, is there any way to treat a beloved husband? What? What? Crowley croaks. Aziraphale wriggles in delight and chucks a tail and finger on a Crowley's chin. Oh, did you not intend to propose me with those gifts of sustenance? and fine nesting materials and a humble request to share my nest with me? Uh, the feathered crests around Aziraphale's ears and along their spine 
ploof and settle several times in apparent delight. And should I have not provided you succor and welcomed you into my nest as a result? Oh, my, how awkward, they said with fiendish relish. The penny drops and crowley scowls. You're fucking with me, aren't you? He accuses on a hiss. Aziraphale quivers all over with a rumbling chortle and then leans forward to touch their snout bravely against the beaky curve of Crowley's nose. Only a bit, my dear. If you were also a cherub, that would have indeed been a proposal and an acceptance. But seeing as you are human, and there aren't so many cherubs wandering about in human lands, that I would expect you to know of our ways, I'm not about to hold either of us to any vows, however prettily made on your part. Crowley reluctantly feels himself warming to the humour of the situation. You're a bit of a bastard, aren't you? He observes ruefully. What a shocking thing to say to your husband, Aziraphale says gleefully, and pulls themselves up stiffly, like if they had pearls to clutch, they'd be doing so. Crowley rolls his eyes, but he's grinning now. Yeah, all right. They are gone, you know, Aziraphale cuts in suddenly and waves a dismissive paw at the cave wall toward where Liga and Hester had set up their camp. Set out earlier this morning, grumbling about flesh bastard mages. The news hits him like a feather-stuffed pillow of relief. Abruptly, his limbs decide to give up the ghost, and he oozes back down into the warm softness of the nest and stares blankly at the ceiling. You can stay, if you like, Aziraphale offers quietly. I'm at the tail end of my hibernation, so I might not be much company, but you seem like you need a safe place to rest for a while, and I do appreciate the gifts. What I would have expected from a human. You're not what I would have expected. Crowley looks up into their face, searching their unusual features for a long moment, not entirely sure what he's looking for. You're not what I would have expected either, he admits after a moment. Thought for sure. I was going to get chomped with teeth like yours. Aziraphale grins broadly to show off their gleaming sharpness, and Crowley gives a mocking grin in return to convey just how unimpressed he is with the bastardly humor. Nonsense, Aziraphale says on a chuckle, placing a distinctly propriety paw over Crowley's chest. You Far too interesting to eat. I'd much rather have you for a husband than for dinner. 
You are never going to let me live that down, are you? Crowley says, deadpan, and then shifts a little awkwardly as he hears the implications of his words and realizes he means them. He has no intention of leaving, not now. Aziraphale seems to hear it too and gives what almost sounds like a purr of satisfaction. Oh, never, they agree smugly and then wriggle back down into the cosy embrace of the nest, looking prepared to go right back to sleep. They leave their paw resting on Crowley's chest. After a moment, Crowley brings an arm up to hug it close, and decides to settle in for a little more sloth. Eventually, he is going to have to get up and tend to bodily necessities, and make proper plans, and decide how he's going to solve this thing with the divine emperor. But for now, he's going to take this offer, whatever it really means under all the teasing earnestness, and rest and breathe, secure in the knowledge that he's no longer alone. The end.